0: okay so now we're rec- oh you've been recording okay so i guess no, I, can't I just started and pretend yeah. to be somebody else now
1: okay pretend to be all proper. i mean we still have we can still uh make changes in post
0: oh okay all right this is not live stream you know people do that okay so yeah. what do you want to talk about
1: do you know what i tried to do i tried to um get chat gpt have you used chat gpt no never
0: I don't even know what that is I'm in a bunker dude I don't talk to anybody <laughs> Just t- you have to tell me what the, like, the world like, is about now
1: like right. have we been Hang invaded on. by
0: aliens just tell me dude I have no idea
1: no 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 this is like uh, an AI chat so you can ask something so I don't know oh
0: um, okay this is like correct my grammar with AI okay got it yeah
1: exactly so like, like what's a good name for a podcast about this is such a nerdy um,
0: thing to do by the way can't think How of a podcast name, and... so you're gonna go to AI engine, just ask.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's see what it says. Is
0: this working or what? Come on, come on, AI! You and they say you're uh, they're re- you're gonna replace me, Cloudcast. That's,
1: a too... <laughs> that's already a podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Of course. Yeah. The cool thing is, you can also do stuff. Um, you can like it. It like remembers the context, so I can say like. Uh, what about something, I don't know, with more personality? <laughs> oh
0: my God. I'll start typing it and autocomplete like it read my mind.
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool. You know, oh, cloudy days and code nights. Uh, eh, cloudy with a chance of code. I kind of like that one. Uh, yeah. Cloudy, cloudy with a chance of code, code. I like it too. A C's. <laughs> the CCC podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay we're good on that I yeah if you're good yeah. uh, go ahead okay let's do it all right welcome to the first episode of cloudy with a chance of code um we're gonna start off with some quick intros my name is larry ogronik um i've been a software developer for gosh over 20 years i guess do a lot with aws um in this fantastic aws heroes program with my co-host um and what else? I don't know. You know. I'm definitely interested in yeah, programming, development, doing a lot of stuff with more of the serverless side, like Lambda, Eventbridge, things like that. I don't know. Looking forward to spending some time conversing with uh, Tongue and keeping up on cloud and development stuff. And um, I don't know, hopefully building a nice community of fellow uh, developers and uh, AWS fans. Oh, that's cool. I thought that was a good intro, Larry.
0: Uh, my name is Tung Nguyen. Uh, I'm also one of the AWS heroes. Um, met uh, actually Larry through, I think I met you through the AWS heroes program also. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we do a lot of uh, stuff on AWS and stuff. Uh, Larry reached out to me and was like, hey, you want to do a podcast? I was like, there's a million of them. So why don't we do a million plus one? Yeah, that sounds fun. So uh, I figure is a good opportunity to actually catch up with Larry since I only really see him before this kind of once a year during Revent, which is funny because uh, I think we both missed reInvent this year. So we're like, oh, not going. Uh, so it's gonna be fun to recap something we kind of missed. I'm actually uh, looking forward to what you have to say about Revent too. But uh, yeah. yeah, so let's see what else about me though. Uh I uh, build a lot of open source tools, Uh some in the service space, some of the Docker space. Uh, so all over the place, a lot of AWS tools and all that kind of stuff. And uh and I've been doing software engineering for, I guess, about 15 years, years or so. Uh, so that's a bit about me um what else do you want to talk about now
1: larry that's great man yeah that's good yeah do you want to talk about yeah you mentioned reinvent yeah we both missed it this year kind of a bummer i yeah i don't know it's been i think i went to like every single one until COVID happened and then haven't been back since and uh i don't know i mean this year was nice to go they had that hero summit in seattle that i went to which was amazing and i feel like especially I don't know, since i had already gone to that it felt hard to do the extra travel you know with family and stuff like that and Um, But there were some cool announcements. Yeah, I tried to keep up with what happened. Yeah, I guess I can talk about some of the things I'm excited about. I'm not sure how much I use, but I think it's just I'm excited about some of the direction, like the Lambda snap start thing, which is really cool. I don't know if you did you see that? It's like basically the idea is to um, improve the quick start or the cold start time of Lambda functions. So they added some stuff in firecracker like their vm technology to be able to like snapshot the vm so the idea is they will start up your lambda functions snapshot the vm and then when the cold start happens later they don't start from scratch they just restore the vm from that snap started snapshotted state so that you know all the initialization is already done and you, you're starting uh, right away the one interesting thing is right now it's java only which i don't know i did a lot of java back in the day but um I don't even know why it's language specific, to be honest, because it seems like it's at the VM layer, not at the language layer. But um I'm excited for them to bring this to other languages because, you know, Python. I do a lot of Python stuff now and the cold start time isn't bad. But one of the things that we're using uh, at work is like the SageMaker serverless endpoints, which is like not Lambda at all. I think it's probably closer to ECS, but man, the cold start times on that is like Terrible. Like, terrible, terrible, yeah.
0: terrible. Yeah, ECS is it, it's kind of slow to start up a task. Yeah. But I think it's also people uh, are maybe not used to the fact that not does ECS kind of start up a task, right? Uh, Kubernetes, when it starts a task, because people always compare the, the two, ECS and Kubernetes, and I have, uh, uh, I've gotten the opportunity to work on both. And uh, Kubernetes, uh, it seems like it's fast, too, right? But because it's async, you don't get any feedback right away with yeah. uh, ecs is async too but i love the tooling basically you start the task and you kind of you you uh it just it feels a little different when you're kind of running the cli command like of in kubernetes but actually i've measured it where i kind of pull basically because what you could do is you kind of like a start task or start kubernetes basically pod and then you could actually pull for like a, a, a like you know a, some type of log or something right and i actually measure it. it's about the same so there, yeah. there is overhead there it's just whether or not from a human perspective you perceive it to be slower now so what I'm kind of saying is they're both actually kind of slow because it takes some time to orchestrate yeah, the whole process yeah. to spin up and all that uh, I did not know about uh, the Lambda uh, snapshot stuff I've been kind of out of loop there I've been kind of living under a hole in the last month because it's just holiday traveling and everything uh, but that's kind of cool but I thought they were actually doing some stuff to already uh, improve that I, I'm actually surprised to hear that's, that's a little bit newer uh, that they're basically it sounds like they're kind of imaging basically um, part of the um As much as possible, Uh, all, I guess... all whatever is loaded, the JVM essentially. And I guess they do with JVM. Why? Because it's Java, right? It's because the enterprise, big companies will pay for that. So they're going to do that first. And then uh, all the uninterpreted languages, they basically kind of disregard <laughs> <laughs> until they go, okay, enough people have to complain, right? And then Ruby, they just like, oh, pretend doesn't exist. You know, my one favorite language. It's like, ah, yeah. goodness, right? Like Ruby, it's basically like the Wild Wild West language. Like the cowboys, everybody loves it, right? Or the people who were like, give it a chance. But then like the enterprises, they don't really do it. And I was actually wondering and talking to somebody else about this, and I was like, why, why? Uh, and I think it's actually, some of this is like legacy, like historical reason that has nothing to do with programming or beautiful code or anything like that. It's kind of maybe like Google, The I think the founders, when they kind of started the company, their engineers were Python. So just as a result of that, right? You're gonna yeah. have like more Python in, in that world, right? And, uh, and so, uh, and then I think Python's used a lot for, ma- uh, machine learning too. That's, yeah, that's right. Really and all cool. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, I didn't know you were also doing a SageMaker. SageMaker is cool. I, I messed around with it a long time ago in one of those, um, this is really cool. Those ABUS lofts, I think they're open again. But, uh, if you guys are like, I don't know, talking to uh, the people there who are, you know, the two people who are listening, um, if you get a chance to go check out the ABUS lofts, they're actually pretty cool. You get to go there and then you just sit around working like, I kind of, I did that for like, I think two years while I was doing the consultancy, just like learn through osmosis. I figure if if I put myself in the middle of like, you know, everybody else, and the funny thing is everybody at that loss, they're all learning too. So nobody basically has no clue what's going on. (laughs) And then (laughs) instructors, they're using as like practice kind of material for the reinvent for the big event. It's like the Super Bowl for eight of us employees. So they're like, Okay, we're just kind of like make up what we do along the present. Like, It's not that bad. They, they prepared, okay? I'm kind of exaggerating here. But the the good thing is basically it's like a really uh, a good place to go kind of learn. So I actually miss those lofts too. So that's good. And then sometimes they toss out credits and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm, cool. I'm ranting again.
1: No, that's cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking it's like it sucks to not have the – good Edibus support for like ruby but i i wonder if you're it's maybe it's like a blessing and a curse cuz like like for python they they obviously have support for python lambda stuff but like i don't know why they they've been ridiculously slow about updating it so like the latest version of python you can use um was released like over a year ago and then like you know last year they had a new release um and that's still not supported like last year's release is still not supported and then just had a, they had a big release this year that's supposed to like really increase um, the performance of Python. Like the Python uh, runtime is is it's, I forget what they said like between ten and sixty percent faster with some um, improvements they've done. But given that AWS doesn't support the version that was released last year, it's like I'm gonna have to wait like two years <laughs> to use like the fast Python. So I don't know. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, maybe I'm just you're-
0: actually looking right now because I was like curious because I again I didn't go re-event, so I didn't keep up with any like maybe new runtime version releases, and I see Python 3.8, so I guess that's the latest version of Python. I'm guessing, but you're just saying that there's basically a faster maybe the pre precompiled uh, Python. You know, some some of the, I think some of the interpreted Python can be pre-compiled, and I think I forgot what they're called, but they're like not .py maybe .pyc files, right? M- maybe that's where they're needing to optimize it. I don't know. But are, are you basically saying uh, you're waiting for like a faster version of Python, the 3.8 version or or uh, well, a, a Python another is version?
1: Yeah, they're up, like like the last version that was released is 3.11. So, um. oh, oh, I don't even know. You see? Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what so that's what I'm saying. It's like, and I am not counting on AWS to have it available for like probably two years based on how slow they've been to update and i don't know why it's that slow you know yeah you
0: know what maybe maybe i'm just saying from like announcement standpoint right where reinvent's all about announcements it's not as sexy to announce like a brand new like complete language versus oh here's a bumping version let's make a big deal about that right so so maybe that has to do it or maybe i'm just saying like Amazon is spread thin in resources, because I don't know, they have billions of dollars and thousands of engineers. <laughs> it's like, dude, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, basically, I don't know, but uh, it's kind of interesting. So I see, yeah, Node is right now, uh, I see, wow, Node 18, not, uh, basically Node 18. Python's 3.9, so there's actually 3.9. I was looking at the bottom chart there. Java, the Coretto version, the Amazon, basically, uh, version is Java 11 and Java 8 is the older versions there. And then net.net .net is six. Go is one. And Ruby, of course, is way behind 2.7. This Ruby yeah. 3.1 yeah. is out already. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Wait, that's so interesting. I wonder
1: how that maps. Yeah. It, I was just looking like the Oracle Java version is 17. So I don't know. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> I remember I ran into this because I was doing some client work and I was like, okay, what the heck is this? Right. It's like, I forget the mapping, but it's like, they completely changed the versioning uh, scheme. And like, the node word did this at some point too, where it was like confusing during transition. Yeah. But like, it was like 0.12 or something, all of a sudden it's like, we're just gonna make the one two like 12 or something, or, or something re- 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 weird like that. Yeah, 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 I don't remember how it maps anymore either. Yeah, uh, I'm just kind of showing, or, or saying kind of what I see in the council here. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's gonna be fun stuff. Uh, you do a lot of serverless? I didn't know you do a lot of serverless.
1: Uh, I try to. I mean, the thing I'm working on now at work, it's all, you know, it's all serverless. It's basically, you know, just a... I mean, it's using this AWS framework called Chalice, um, but it's all basically like a Python Lambda function. And then, yeah, we're using the the SageMaker serverless too to do some, like, machine learning prediction stuff. Um, yeah, we also have, like, you know, a, a lot of the backend for a company is, like, a giant... Um, TypeScript monolith, but um, I don't know. I prefer the serverless stuff. I think it's just I don't know. It's how my brain works, you know. Like keep keep things small. Like do one thing. It's like super easy to work with and deploy. And like I, I don't know. You, especially for for any like not insane workloads, it ends up being free. Like you you get so much free lambda compute hours that it's really hard to use them like for a normal business thing. You know, unless you're like processing huge amounts of whatever, right? But um, I don't know. Like, Yeah, I think like our Lambda bill, bills for this app is like three cents per month or something. It's it's like nothing, you know, like. Yeah, hosting. yeah, I mean, if your usage is
0: moderate or low, it's basically yeah. free, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, if your yeah. usage is like scaling like to crazy levels, like, you know, millions of requests, and not even crazy levels of millions of requests, yeah. then you have to start actually looking at the uh, economics of that because uh, as it scales, you're still paying a premium for uh Lambda, right? They manage basically the runtime, they manage the maintain maintenance of that. They being AWS. So act- actually as it scales with millions and millions of requests, then actually pay more, right? Uh so so yeah. there's yeah, but then uh, yeah, the reason it goes yeah, like that's like because you have to pay then the DevOps team, right? And like usually yeah, the exactly. the bottom line is like engineers are way more expensive, right, than maintaining basically um uh servers. So yeah, that's a thing. Yeah.
1: Even AWS, like, I don't want to worry about load balancers or scaling or anything or patching the OS for security updates. I just want to, like, here's my Python function, run this. And then I don't worry about anything else. And that's it's worth it, I think. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Especially, if you, um, well, I, I, I've actually messed around with Chalice before. When, when I was um, writing Jets, I looked into Chalice and kind of looked, uh, evaluated, like, how it works and all that. Chalice has some pretty cool things. I mean, it has it uses uh, Python decorators to essentially kind of do like the scheduling right above the method definition, which is pretty cool. Or the function definition, however you want to call it in Python. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, I like that framework. You know, Chalice was actually like, it, it seemed like there was kind of like a, some um, initial kind of uh, debate around Chalice and Zappa. Because Zappa, it seems like Chalice is kind of like exactly what Zappa is. And Zappa is the open source version of it. And, you know, the guy who wrote that. And then eventually, like, kind of AWS moving there and kind of now there's an official version is, is essentially of Chalice. And I think there are some still features that Zappa supports that Chalice doesn't. But again, do you want to kind of go with the, the AWS kind of version right there? And with uh, support that you get from the vendor, or you want to go with open source? And again, there's some, some pros with open source too with Zappa. But I remember kind of seeing both of those. And I'm like, oh, wow, these two look very uh, familiar or, or similar to each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah similar, a cool tool. I think, yeah, I think there's some differences. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I think actually the the person who, um, who like, who wrote the AWS, like CLI and maintains like, you know, that and Boto now at AWS, um, or one of the people anyway, um, his name's like James, um, blanking on his last name, but yeah, he's the guy who wrote Chalice and it seems like it was probably like just a hack day thing, <laughs> like something he probably started just on his own at AWS, you know, but it, I mean, it's open source. It's um, project. Yeah, it's, it's open source and it is an official AWS product. And I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, for they're like both an, open source. Yeah. Yeah. But for getting started with like AWS, um, uh, Lambda API gateway stuff, I think it's just like one of the easiest things if you're using Python, one of the easiest things for sure. Yeah, before, um, I actually have like, um, it's on one of my githubs,
0: like basically a chalice, that's using uh, like the schedule, the CloudWatch scheduler, right above the method function to basically right. back up all your route 53 records and also back up your, what else is being backed up? The security groups. So, uh, all your security group kind of like settings, you could just do like, you know, loop through the API, describe all the security group settings. So, you back up all the rules in case somebody makes changes manually, right? Because mm. I did this as a product project. And then basically, you just go, okay, let me go back and re- not revert, but at least, or I guess revert, because then you can look at the previous settings. Um, you can do that with cloudwatch and stuff like that too, but I, I thought it'd be kind of nice to kind of backup. Yeah. Back kind of. Yeah. You know, well, I, I did what I needed for that project, but so, so that was actually my first foray into Chalice. Actually, I eventually, of course, com- converted that to the, the a Jets application because uh, obviously uh, I, I prefer the Jet stuff. But but Chalice was actually c- uh, cool to write stuff into. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we should definitely talk about Jets sometime. Uh, yeah, no, it's really, really, really cool. Um, yeah, well, we could talk about it on maybe uh, one of the other
0: podcasts or something. It's it's probably slightly of a, something that we'll go on tangent with probably, right? But yeah. But I do stuff with um, containers and stuff too. I thought you were m- mainly working on Docker and stuff, man. Last time I talked to you, I thought we were talking about Docker and stuff. I don't remember. It's all blurry.
1: <laughs> well, I like to do a little bit of everything, you know what I mean? But um, I probably was doing a lot of Docker stuff. I think I probably was last time we talked. Um, I was like, cause I, I spent a couple of years doing years consulting ago? and I did a, like a, a big consulting thing at this place where actually we were doing a lot of stuff with Docker and like pretty early on they had started moving stuff to Docker. And so, um, yeah, that was interesting. So I did a lot of stuff with Docker there and we do use Docker where I am now. And actually, you know, I mean, it's, you know, use it for unit tests and stuff like that too, even for our, um, our Chalice based thing, all our unit tests, you know, use Docker containers just for like the spinning up the DB locally to do like integration tests and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I mean, our I main back in MI where I'm working now is you know using Docker for and ECS Fargate for like our um TypeScript GraphQL service. That's interesting. So you before. use Docker to test your Chalice application,
0: and unit test your Chalice application. So is it essentially just using like the mci image? to then kind of run like the, 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 the function through that?
1: Um, no, not for that. I mean, Chalice has like some, um, like kind of integration testing stuff that it ships with that, like, you know, they have like a test, they have like an HTTP client that will like call the, the Chalice method with like, and it, because like when you're running Chalice stuff, it's kind of like, yeah, you're writing, I mean it for like the web stuff, it kind of looks like you're right, more like you're writing a web application than you're writing a Lambda function because Charles handles like mapping the yeah yeah, the, yeah so they have a a testing and then uh, the Docker it's using this like Python testing plugin um, I forget there's like two of them that are very similar but I think it's called like Pytest Docker Compose and basically we just have like a actually uh, a Postgres Docker container uh, that we use mostly for the database side because it's I don't know everything is like very integrated most of the code with, like, the database. So, um, yeah, but it's really, really cool. I, I Oh, geez, I got to write a blog post about it sometime because it's, um, I don't know if enough people are yeah, doing it. Yeah, you should it. write a blog
0: post about man. I'd be interested.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things I hear a lot from, like, other developers is that I think that with Lambda, like, serverless stuff, like, the tooling there is still not great. And I think a lot of people are just confused about it. Like, how do I test this? Or, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, so... I don't know. It would be good to have more info there and and more more tools, I think, too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, it's also,
0: I think, uh, a hard thing with the tooling is people have different opinions on what should be tested, how the tooling should work, and they come from different... perspectives or worlds right yeah some of them come from the uh developer mindset and some of them come from the infrastructure mindset you know and there's nothing wrong with each of the perspectives it's just you have to appreciate there's differences there and there's um so it's kind of i think a long time ago when i started my engineering career i was actually originally an electrical engineer and i talked to this senior electrical guy and i think he was like 50 years old he's like Tom, one thing i learned is if you try to please everyone you're gonna please no one and that's just kind of stuck with me, you know? So you're trying to please kind of both, you know, these demographics here, like one from the infrastructure side and one from the developer, right? So it's, it's, it's like kind of hard to please that way because you're kind of solved for different issues. So, um, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying there's got to be compromises, yeah. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you more about that sometime because I think that I feel like one of the things, just when I look at like your, you have a lot of, open source projects for, like, doing a lot of, like, this kind of tooling and stuff like that with AWS. And I think that they all and I feel like you have a really great design sense for, like, making things, like, very developer-friendly. like You know, just, like, um, like the stuff that you have for dealing with ECS or whatever, it's way nicer than like the Amazon version of it. You know what I mean? Um, so I feel like you have a really good design sense there and making things like developer developer focused, I think.
0: Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I mean, I think one of the reasons is uh, I do try to please both the infrastructure side as the developer side. So one of the tools in the uh, ECS space is Copilot, right? database Copilot? I mess around with that, and that's actually a good tool. I like it. Um, but I have a, a, another tool that I actually still prefer to use called UFO. UFO Ship is the command to deploy. Uh, I, I come up with QC's name. It takes me forever, okay? But UFO Ship, basically, uh, uh, it will basically build the Docker image, right, and then push up the registry and then uh compile down a confirmation template and then use that template to ship it off to the ECS service. Okay. So it does it all one step, which is what you want to do. You wanna make a change to Docker file and then you wanna press a button and then you wanna see the change, right, reflected eventually, right? It does take some time. I know there's like some other kind of development or focused tools that are supposed to do this in a kind of a more tight loop, like even in a second, but like uh, I, I messed around with those two and like I don't know, if it's just not quite there yet. But anyway, so that was the kind of flow I was kind of looking for. But here's the thing. That's the developer flow, right? It's all one step. Sometimes infrastructure guys, what they want to do is they want to do this in piecemeal. So what you can actually do with the UFO tool as well as some of the other tools, right, is you can actually run it in discrete steps, like a, a step just to build Docker image, a step just to push the Docker image, uh, and step just to compile the template right and a step to kind of register yeah. the task and all that kind of stuff so that's where you have to kind of make the balance and trade-offs right the developer wants a one one step where he doesn't want he wants to see as a black box or maybe a gray box right because right. they're curious and then uh infrastructure guys they want to see a kind of lower level because if they run to like infrastructure prompt they don't want to be able to de- de- debug diagnostically at that level so um i don't know um Thanks, man. Uh, I don't know how much of the tools you've used and how much you haven't, but of course, I, I use them all the time because what happens is I don't go out there and just like, oh, let's go create a tool. I go like, okay, let's go use like Copilot or use another tool. And then when I'm growing yeah. some walls, yeah. I, I either try to wrap around that, right? Like most people do, or then eventually I, I, I create a tool. Yeah.
1: But anyway. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. We've been trying to use CDK a lot, you know, which like. There's some good things there, but then also, like, I don't know. It's like a lot of things are way more complicated than they need to be. And um, gosh, yeah, like deploying a new container takes like forever, right? I mean, doing anything takes forever. It's very slow because it's all through CloudFormation, you know? Um, yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, what the interesting about CDK, right? So CloudFormation itself is very decorative. If you just use the AWS CLI to you know, create uh, um, or first, if you create a formation template and use the AWS CLI itself, to uh, basically deploy the confirmation template, what you're doing is you're just usually just dealing with YML, right? And it's a very decorative kind of like way of thinking. And then CDK is like, I don't like the decorative way. I would like the procedure way. I like, I think I like a programmer. So then you like you you basically try to write a, a program that does it uh, like a regular program language, you know, which is like what developers kind of used to in that sense, right? But the end day, it still compiles it down with the I think CDK's sync method it still compiles it down to actually CloudFormation template. So at the end of the day, you still have to bug, debug CloudFormation. So I'm not uh, completely against CDK, but my mind actually works a little more decorative here. So this is where I would air more on the side and the infrastructure side. But like, you're you're, you're kind of saying, you're like, oh yeah, CDK, oh uh, yeah, it's good. But uh, there are some things where it's just like, there's some wrinkles. know, yeah, I can tell like, yeah, when you run into those wrinkles, it kind of sucks, right? Especially like, you have to figure out what CDK is doing. Is it like changing the physical ID or the logical ID? Which is going to in turn change the physical ID, which is going to re- result in the replacement of the resource, which might not work depending on the resource. It's like a S3 bucket, if it's not empty, you can't just replace it; it's not going to work. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, they've they've been so, they've been really. It's like I think one of the things they try to do is like make things easy, so they have like these constructs where it's like. They pick the defaults for you, which is fine. But the problem is like every release, they like change the defaults. And so like you make like no changes and like you upgrade the CDK version. It's just like, whoa, what's it doing? It's trying to like change this and change that. And it's like, it's just, I don't know. I wish they were a little more conservative with, um, those. I mean, there's like the, some things that I like about it is they have some higher level constructs for like doing stuff like, yeah, for like deploying Lambda functions. Um, yep. they have the, the Lambda function one which is like you know just like this, the, the cloud formation but then they have like a node one or a Python one that actually like spins up a Docker container locally like installs all the dependencies in the container so that they'll run you know with the correct Lambda architecture and then um, uses that to do deploy so I think there's some cool opportunity for like higher levels or like the Chalice like we're using um, the Chalice has CDK support too so you just say like new Chalice app and you pass in like the um, the stuff with your child stuff and it handles like doing everything for you. But yeah, I don't know. It's How long you been doing CDK for, Larry? How long? Um, I think I guess it's been about three years now. It's been a while.
0: Oh wow, three years of CDK, like uh, on a regular basis,
1: like at least once a week. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Well, yeah, I don't know. I just we don't have. It depends. You know what I mean? Like some weeks you're doing more infrastructure stuff than others i guess right um but when we first started i've been at this company for over three years and um we've been using cdk from the beginning so um so you've been through the ins and outs of it at this point right because
0: I would say, like, you have to use it probably regularly for, like, two or three months, and then you kind of start seeing the works, right? Then you start feeling some of the pain. Well, oh, yeah, start that's the thing. Kind
1: of- I, th- I think you you really see it when you're, like, trying to – that's the thing. It's just, like, I think after a while I kind of got used to it. <laughs> but then, like, yeah. someone, asks, someone asks you for help or, like, help you debug something or, like, whatever – or they'll just ask you, why is this so hard? And you're like, huh, I never really thought about it, but you're right. Like, it is kind of nuts that I have to, like – you know do all this stuff to like configure this thing or whatever i don't know and it's not all the cdk's fault i think a lot of it is like cloud formation or even aws like i think it's still like too complicated for, for hooking like different services up to each other in terms of like the im permissions and things like that like that's not really cdk's fault necessarily but um uh, I, you know, I, I know we're know. talking
0: about AWS and CloudFormation CDK, but you know, Terraform has basically an equivalent to. There's a Terraform CDK now. They released it a couple of months ago. So it's also like they're trying to fill out that market gap too, I guess. And remember, yeah. Terraform is more yeah. like CloudFormation directly, and then Terraform CDK is like the AWS CDK, right? Where you're using a programming language, but it still compiles it down, I believe, to JSON notation. I'm not exactly sure, actually. I will have to play with it. But, um, Yeah, um, I don't know, there's, I guess there's always like this gap where people try to do everything. I didn't know you did it for three years, that's crazy. I mean, that's probably more than most people because CDK has only been around for three years, right? And then like, you've been deep in the weeds so you kind of see the words, like you've done it more than me. Yeah. I mean, I basically looked at it and there's another guy, what's his name? Um, He's a container hero. Uh, um, Container hero, what's his name? Uh, It's slipping my mind right now. But anyway, uh, he's in Germany. Um, trying to look up his name right now, but anyway, he loves and he swears by CDK. so he loves it because again. Once you have like the, I guess a, a construct that's good enough and you're used to the words, you can, you can basically do pretty powerful things with just a couple of slight changes. And you could, ha- you know, cause you could create your own programming constructs. Unlike, you know, like, you know, it's much harder to do that with cloud formation with YML. Right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But, uh,
0: you can create your own programming constructs, pass your own parameters in there. Macy, he uses the build containers and all that. and He swears by. It. He just loves it. Uh, he's the one that first introduced me to CK like a, a two, two or three. Oh, uh, Philip Garb. That's his name. Yeah. So yeah, so he, so he's he swears by CDK. So you and him will probably get along.
1: <laughs> nice. Maybe we can have him on the have have him on the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, he I think he even wrote a couple of blogs about it. Some of them on the Ado's official blog too, about CDK cuz like yeah, Philip is really into like the CDK and stuff. <clears throat> see, like I'll, I'll just be like honest, like when I I like the did CDK, I was like, "Oh my god, this is like a abstraction, but then you it still leaks and you still have to kind of see and understand the cloud formation. So for me, it kind of drove me nuts a little bit. And I was like, "Oh, screw this!" But I can see how it can be powerful, right? Uh, and if I had to do it, I would do it. And it's it not that big of a deal. I would just do it. Now, I do have a question about CDK. Does it give you a preview what it's going to change? Is there like a preview or plan
1: command or dry run command for CDK? Is there one yet? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's there's a diff there's a diff command. So yeah, it'll tell you what it's going to change. Um, but you know, so the yeah. diff
0: is that essentially the cloud change set is that a change set essentially? Or is that, uh, like a code diff or what, what does the diff kind of show you?
1: I guess it is like the change set. I mean, it shows you like, um, yeah, you know, it, you know, it'll be like, we're changing, you know, we're, we're changing, um, I don't know, like adding these things to this policy or we're, you know, changing this value to this value or adding this DNS record. So, um, I guess it is like, so, um, by, so, yeah.
0: So that change set, does it show you attribute level changes or just a high level? Like this, uh, resource, like clock or like essentially confirmation resource is going to be modified, deleted, or added? Is
1: that high level it sh- or is it like attribute level? No. Th- yeah. They, they show you like the attributes, um, for, you know, for some oh, things, I don't know. I guess it probably depends on, it probably depends on like the, the resource. Um, cause it's definitely not, it's definitely not consistent. You know, I think some things are better than others um oh interesting yeah but that part is cool yeah we actually even have like a neat um like a github uh kind of like hook that like whenever we have a pr open against something with um cdk it'll automatically do cdk diffs and then it'll post those to the the pull request so that, uh, is that custom to your company yeah or is that, yeah, uh, should, uh, yeah it's oh, custom well. we should open source it i mean it, it's like yeah. yeah we should we should open source it it's like it's just running a cdk diff and then posting back to the to the pull request yeah yeah yeah
0: that's pretty cool yeah because the yeah. diff command be very very useful you know the plan command is actually useful or dry run or whatever you want to call it yeah like um yeah. so there's another tool i'm working on and off called lono it does actually diff but it uses essentially confirmation chain sets as one of the diffs when I say one diff is because I actually do three different diffs. I found three different diffs to actually be helpful, because CDK you don't really pass parameters. I think that's frowned upon in the CDK world. With CloudFormation, you you basically build a, a CloudFormation template, and you're supposed to uh, be able to deploy different variations of it via parameters. Right, like runtime parameters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the CDK world, it's like more encouraged to like write it into your code. That's my understanding of that at least. But it might be outdated. That's like three years ago when I was talking to Philip about it. Um, yeah. But anyway, so b- because of that, the only diff is going to be a code level diff. And I thought it was going to be like a change set. But it sounds like it does some changes. And depending on the resource type, it's going to also provide you attribute level differences or property level differences, which is pretty sweet. Because that's what a Terraform plan will kind of do. And there are some benefits of that. There's, you know, there's some things that are annoying about that too because the output becomes a little verbose. Anyway, uh, eventually what I kind of end up doing was I had three different types of diffs: a change set diff, which is a high level diff. Then I had a basically a parameter diff because remember I'm I'm basically manipulating t- cloud sure. templates directly, so I actually want to see what the parameters are too. And then third diff, it's actually a high level, uh, basically it's like git diff. Except like, you know how when you do like a git diff dash dash stats or I think that, da- yeah stat it gives you a, like high level summary of number of lines added and number of lines removed. And then it spits out like a diff command. So then you could diff basically the uh, existing template that's has already been previously deployed versus the uh, newly generated template. And then you can actually see the line by line diff and all that. But I found actually all of those three diffs, this help a lot in kind of understanding what the heck is happening. Um, it's, I mean, yeah. it's still, you know, it's still not perfect. Nothing's perfect. That's the problem. People think, oh, I know I can do CDK. Now my life's perfect. No. Or like confirmation. No. You know, it's, it's not like there's like, You know, and and maybe later on down the road, too, like, you know, a year down the road, (laughs) you know, these courts, uh, I mean, these warts around CDK, a lot of them have been resolved. Maybe the abstraction level is, like, you know, done uh, more close to reality. And then at that point, all of a sudden, CDK wins, right, versus uh, CloudFormation Raw. Until that abstraction gets to the point where it helps you more than it gets in your way, uh, I don't know. I'm finding it difficult still, right? And maybe it's also because there's some custom abstractions that maybe Phil has written or you have written right that just makes it a little easier i don't know there's a lot of maybes in there because that's how it is right it's it's just kind of like the, the the it's it's a little bit hard to have a uh, a definite answer when the world of software is moving underneath your feet like sometimes like quicksand dude you know yeah. <laughs> you're like oh dude <laughs> yeah yeah no i think they'll always be different again I'm learning something about CDK in this already, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't mess around with CDK. Basically, I messed around with it a couple years ago when Phil introduced me, I threw up a lib in my mouth and I kind of moved on. Uh, and then... Uh, no, no, CDK is cool, okay? Goodness, guys. Yeah, all of a sudden, people are going to be like, oh, you hate CDK. I don't hate CDK. I think, again, I think if you could abstract it at the right level... Actually, I would like to have a project working on it and, like, get my hands really dirty, like, do what you're doing, like, two or three months in, it. And then... I mean, yeah. You know? Unless you build up those battle scars, you don't really know,
1: right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, no, and I think I think a lot of my complaints with CDK aren't really CDK. It's more it's more CloudFormation. So maybe I'm. I'm not oh even yeah, point the it. finger.
0: No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, because that's what CDK does. It, it compiles down CloudFormation template, and then it's going to be limited CloudFormation. The funny thing is, uh, let's see, I ran into like a Jets bug, not really a bug, but this. So. Jets basically is a serverless framework, right? But deploys Lambda functions. But at the end day, it deploys Lambda function API gateway routes. But at the end day, it's just compiling CloudFormation templates. So guess what? At the end day, I can do the same thing you're doing with CDK. Oh, it's not really a CDK thing. It's not really Jets thing. It's a CloudFormation thing, right? So uh, you're kind of be limited by whatever the bottom, uh, you know, the thing underneath it is kind of doing. But the reason why CDK is using CloudFormation is the same reason why the serverless JS framework eventually uh, use CloudFormation. Because remember, the serverless JS framework, which I think is still the most popular framework in the serverless space, it's just basically (laughs) compiling down CloudFormation and then deploying Lambda and API Gateway via CloudFormation. But at the very beginning, when Austin was working on it, right, it was making raw API calls, dude. It wasn't using CloudFormation as an additional layer. Yeah, but then if you're making a raw API call, it turns out orchestration is the pain in the butt. right? Basically, let's say you delete a Lambda function, uh you need to maintain state somewhere. You need to remember that you deployed a previous function. And then later on down the road, when you do a deployment again, like, you know, like think about it this way. When you write a method, right, programmatically procedurally, right, uh with let's say CDK, and you basically write methods say, Hey, create me a lambda function or create me a S3 bucket, right? Then you deploy it, it creates the lambda function or an S3 bucket. And then you delete those lines of code, right? Uh, in a regular API call, you actually have to write methods to say, delete the bucket, delete the Lambda function, right? right, Right? right. You can't just delete the bucket. The lines are going like, oh, magically, it just knows, right? (laughs) Uh, Exactly. Like people don't like realize this, right? Like maybe most people do, right? Maybe it's just me, but then you have to kind of realize that's why the CK is using CloudFormation underneath the hood because CloudFormation keeps track of state for you, keeping track of state and deleting that Lambda function or the S3 bucket later yourself. Uh, you're going to need a database, man, right? You're going to need something to keep that state, right? But CloudFormation is handling that crap for you, right? I mean, if you're a, in a Terraform war, right, there's like this whole debate about like the first thing you do with Terraform is like, oh, no, I got managed state. Well, this is the beautiful thing about CloudFormation. It handles state for you, right? But then people who are used to the Terraform war, is really funny. They go, man, I miss the state. I miss I basically miss being able to inspect the state directly and and manipulating that state directly when I have to, when somebody makes a manual change outside the purview or the vision of CloudFormation or Terraform in that case. Kind of interesting, actually.
1: Yeah. 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 I think they, yeah, I think they, CloudFormation has been working on some stuff for like, for remediating those, those changes into your CloudFormation stuff. But I don't know, man. Yeah. They need to dump more resources on CloudFormation. I feel like it needs a lot more love. (laughs)
0: Yeah, they always need a lot more love. I remember two or three years ago, uh, we're talking to the guy who runs the AWS Heroes program, right? He was like, yeah, they're kind of reorganizing, reshifting the organization so that instead of like a separate uh, cloud formation team, they're going to basically have people on the dedicated teams like ECS or serverless, and then they're going to basically kind of be the cloud formation person within that team so yeah. then they can kind of get yeah. things integrated quicker, right? I don't know if they ever kind of reorganized the organization to do that, but you know, it sounds like a good idea. I don't know. You know, because CloudFormation support is always kind of lagging, sometimes behind open source communities, sometimes behind Terraform. But like, it just depends. Sometimes Terraform is actually lagging, too. There's been some open pull requests for five years. Five years, dude. I mean, I think Terraform is like a billion dollar company, you know, like where does that billion dollar go? Not to that pull request, you know. Uh, So it's just it's kind of crazy. It's just that's just nature of the beast.